Hello everyone, this is Bola and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. So today I'm really, really excited for you guys to listen to this episode because I'm talking to an amazing woman. Her name is Flanice Lewis and Flanice has made some really great strides on her journey to financial success. So for example, Flanice bought her first house at the age of 23 with no outside help. She also saved over $100,000 for retirement before the age of 30. And in addition, she was able to get her credit score to 800 plus. So a perfect credit score almost also before the age of 30. And Flanice is a breast cancer survivor. She has been able to beat breast cancer. And the great news about that as well is that she didn't have to finance any of her bills, any of her hospital bills. And Flanice intends to get to a million dollars in cash and assets in the next four years. So you guys definitely want to hear this story because we get into Flanice's personal story of her growing up poor and how and why she chooses to pursue building wealth, her progress so far, her dreams, her ambitions, and how she was able to beat breast cancer, how she was able to keep her mental health intact without derailing her financial goals and she also talks about the decisions she made around the type of insurance she got that helped her pay for her breast cancer treatment. So this is an awesome interview and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But before we dive in, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please do. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You can also listen to episodes on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel and be sure to head over to the website at clevergirlfinance.com because I have a ton of brand new content every single week to help you as you work on improving your finances. And finally, if you're looking for that handholding when it comes to working on improving your finances and you want to be part of an incredible community of women who are doing big things with their money, then I want you to check out my accountability program. And you can learn more about that at clevergirlfinanceacademy.com. And so let's get into this awesome conversation I had with Flanice. So welcome to the podcast, Flanice. I am so excited to have you here to talk to you about your incredible money story. And you've had a lot of amazing accomplishments. So before we dive in, though, I wanted you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us who you are. Well, my name is Flanice Lewis. Um, I currently reside in South Florida. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a money coach, um, avid lover of everything personal finance, um, and just a student of the world, really, world traveler and all that good stuff. I love it. And the few things that Felice did not see <laughs> is that... <laughs> She is an all-round financial junkie. So I'm just going to read off a few of your stats, Felice, since you didn't do okay. that. <laughs> so she bought her first house at 23 with no help. She saved over $100,000 for retirement before she turned 30. She reached an 800-plus credit score before she turned 30 as well. And she has managed to beat breast cancer without having to finance any of her bills. Felice, you are an incredible lady. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so um, let's kind of dive into your story. Um, you've overcome breast cancer. And while you were at it, you still managed to make all these incredible strides with your finances. So let's talk about how did you even get to this place where you wanted to do better with your money? Um, well, a couple of things have happened. 
you know, throughout the course of my life, like as a child, like having my mother tell me, you know, we're poor. And I was just like, I don't understand. You know, I get new clothes for school, that sort of thing. What do you mean? You know, um, having that moment, it didn't really click, but it's always stayed with me in the back of my mind. I actually retell that story a lot because, you know, parents go through a lot trying to shield their kids from things. Mm -hmm. But that was like my first example of my mother being like, okay, you're old enough to understand, you know, our financial situation. Um, and then when I graduated from college, you know, I was, uh, one of three young ladies renting an apartment. I had a full-time job, but, we, you know, we still had to split all the bills, including groceries. I didn't have a car. I was taking public transportation everywhere. There was like zero travel involved. I couldn't always go home to see my family for the holidays, just little things like that, where it's like, well, I have a full-time job, you know, I should be able to live, but I really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I ended up getting an apartment on my own and I realized like, this is expensive. Like I had a studio <laughs> apartment. It was 425 square feet. I will never forget it. And I was paying $1,052 for 425 square feet for <laughs> a studio apartment and a parking space. Um, and I was like, this is insane. But at that point I had moved up a little bit, you know, and bought a car, but it was also like, I don't like having a car payment. This is ridiculous. Not to mention maintenance and insurance and gasoline. So I still ended up taking public transportation to work because it was cheaper than driving into the city. Um, less wear and tear, all of that good stuff. Um, so I, I started to really be mindful of the additional costs that come with having something like a vehicle. Um, so that kind of I tacked that on to the other information I was observing over time as I, you know, my income went up slightly. My bills started, you know, flowing right along with it, adjacent, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. But then I think my final like enough is enough moment um, was when I started looking at homes with my best friend because she was interested in buying a house. It hadn't even crossed my mind at that point because I was just like, if I'm paying $1,000 for a studio, I can't afford a house. That was my thinking. Mm -hmm. And then we started looking at houses and I started talking to the realtor and figuring out, wait, I can get a house for less than what I'm paying for a studio apartment? Really? <laughs> um, and once I found that out, I ended up purchasing my first home like two months later, um, three days after my 23rd birthday, I tried to close before my birthday, but it didn't work out. It got pushed back <laughs> to the Monday after, um, yeah, I was 23 years old, ended up getting an FHA loan on a foreclosure and my monthly payment was $942 a month. That's awesome. And yeah. I love so. that. And I love the fact that you said that you realized that you were paying more in rent, but then you still did the research. You talked to the realtors, you asked them what the housing rates were, and you did your homework before you committed to buying a house. Right. Like I said, it wasn't even on my, <laughs> like in my view of the immediate future, mm -hmm. um, but it worked out because I had been saving 
And I think what also helped is I surrounded myself with other savers. So I was an intern when I first graduated. Granted, it was a paid internship. Um, So the, you know, myself and the other interns, we would talk about it like, oh, well, what savings accounts are you using? Because the rates here are this, the rates here are that. And, you know, just learning about credit unions versus regular banks and just those different things. Like we had those kind of conversations and also, you know, the more seasoned veterans on the job would be like, hey, take advantage of the retirement plan. Take advantage of the matching in your 401k. Stuff that you may not necessarily know when you have your first job, but we had plenty of people to basically adopt us and take us under their wings to be like, take advantage. And my job actually um, offered 5% matching. Mm -hmm. So I know in some instances that's unheard of, but they were like, just, you know, even if you only put in enough to get the matching, that's more than you would, you know, on your own or in any other situation, like at a minimum, put in enough to get the matching because it adds up and it does. And that's how I ended up getting to my hundred thousand dollars so quickly because I did take advantage of the matching, but I also tried to put in more, um, because, you know, compound interest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'll tell you that not a lot of 23-year-olds um, are in that space where, and it's nothing against anyone who's listening that's 23 or, you know, in that early 20 age. Not a lot of people are in that space where they're young, they're just starting to make money and they think, and they feel like they can save a lot of money. Typically what happens and what I've seen in my experience is that when someone is young and they get their first job and they start making good money, the first instinct is not to save. The first instinct is to get all the things that you you wanted, that you were not able to afford while you were in college, is to travel, is to have fun with your friends. And there's nothing wrong with all that stuff. However, you need to have a plan in place and you have to understand that um you can't think that you have time because you need time to build wealth. And when you're young is perfect time for you to start putting money aside. You don't have to save your entire paycheck, you know, just have a plan to save some of it. And I love the fact that you are another person who saved over a hundred thousand dollars in their early twenties, because that was me. (laughs) And I get so much resistance about, oh, there's no way you saved a hundred thousand in three years, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's no way people always have all these different objections as to how I was able to do that, but you did it too. And so it's not Mm -hmm. uncommon. It's having a plan, it's having a strategy and it's wanting to do it. And it's willing to make certain sacrifices. Like you could have gotten a nice fancy car. You, You could have, you know, instead of getting a house, you could have gone to rent a more expensive apartment and not contributed mm-hmm. to your 401k. It's all about choices. But one thing to keep in mind is that if you can sacrifice just for the short short term, right, for a few years, you'll see you'll see the difference. You'll see why that sacrifice was worth it. And as time progresses, when time passes and you look back, you won't have any regrets. So, Felice, I doubt that you regret saving all that money, right? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> no regrets here. <laughs> so let's kind of talk about you, you bought your house, you saved this $100,000, um, you got your credit score up. How did you stay motivated? Because when you're young, motivation to save can be a challenge sometimes, right? Because there's shopping, there's friends, there's traveling. I know that you said that you surround yourself with other savers, but 
you have to have had days where you're like, oh my God, I want to go shopping. I want that new dress. I know you like Michael Kors. <laughs> I do. So talk I about do. how you stayed motivated. Um, the crazy part about that is um, I used the, the things that I wanted as my motivator. That's definitely my, my motivator now. You have to be honest with yourself. That's first and foremost. So for me, mm. I'm like, I like food a lot. <laughs> I like to travel a lot. I like shiny things, whether that's, you know, a new car or shoes or clothes or earrings or whatever. I like nice things. I do. But nice things cost money. Yeah. And there's no point in me having nice things and not having a place to lay my head. Or, you know, it's all about perspective and priorities. So for me, yes. I need to have multiple streams of income to fund the lifestyle that I want. You know, and I'm perfectly okay sacrificing. I'm perfectly okay not getting Starbucks every morning. So I'm able to take that trip once a quarter or however often. Um, and part of the main thing that keeps me motivated is that I know what it's like to go without. I know what it's like to not have anyone to call like, Hey mom, um, I'm a little short on cash. Can you just transfer some money so I can eat? I don't have that option. I don't have certain liberties. So I took it upon myself that, Hey, you have to support yourself when your back is against the wall. You have no one to call, but yourself. So you have your emergency fund, so you don't have to try to call someone or take out a payday loan, which can get into the triple digits mm-hmm. of interest um, and other, you know, predatory lending situations. It's like, no, if you have it saved and set aside where you can't easily get to it, which is why like online savings accounts are perfect for that situation and they tend to have higher rates, just put a little bit each month, even if it's $20 a paycheck or even less $20 a month. It adds up over time, but I had it in my mind. Okay. I'm going to have my savings automatically taken out of my paycheck. I don't see it. I'm not going to miss it. You know? Yeah. Automation is automation is one way that people who struggle to save can, can save. And stats show that people who automate actually save more money on average. Yep. And because you're not paying attention to it, constantly checking it because it's out of sight, out of mind, you don't have to worry about all the withdrawals. It's like constant deposits. And it even works with investing. You do dollar cost averaging. You put in a hundred dollars a month to say, you know, um, an ETF or a mutual fund. And if it pays dividends, all the better reinvest your dividends. That's money that didn't come out of your pocket. That's being invested for you in earning interest. It's just all those little things add up over time. And for me, the biggest motivation is seeing my accounts grow. Like once you get your first thousand and 2000 and 3000, and then when you start seeing five digits and six digits, it's an amazing feeling. It's like a rush. It is. It's (laughs) definitely my rush. And instead of wanting to take that money out to spend it, I'm like, no, I want that number to go up even higher. Like if I can, I reached a hundred thousand in my lifetime. Do you know there are people in their sixties that are pushing retirement age that don't even have a hundred thousand dollars to retire on. So they have to continue working. I don't want to be that person. I'm giving myself another four years to reach a million dollars. Yes, I love it. Girl, you are my kindred soul. <laughs> yeah, we're here. We're here. <laughs> I am tracking, okay? So it's like, um, I'm actually 
well, just a quick update. So the house I bought when I was 23, I actually sold it last year for a profit and I purchased two homes this year. So I know the last time we talked, you were on track to purchase two homes. Yep. So I have my primary residence and I have a second home that's a partial rental. Um, So it's like I'm building my little, uh, how should I say, my little empire, if you will. And I'm connecting with other entrepreneurs and business owners and people that want to get into real estate investing. Um, I've literally starting an entire separate business from the one I previously started because I do small business support. Um, but now I'm starting one that's travel related. So I'm working with a marketing friend of mine to get that up and running and create more content. Um, and combining my love of fashion and travel and, you know, all of those good things. Um, but it's like once you get into the mindset of making money and having your money make money for you, it's one of those things you just want to keep going. And I still have my full-time job. So yeah. where I had time for all of this, I don't know. Somehow, <laughs> and it's just, um, But you understand that, yeah, maybe I'll just get six hours of sleep tonight instead of eight because I need to finish this idea because – once I do this, it puts me in a better position to get to that million, to get to that next set of commas, if you will. Um, and it's like paying off debt. Like my goal now is to pay down my current loans. Cause I, I did take out mortgages on the two homes, even though I would rather have paid cash, mm-hmm. but I'm not at that point. However, that's my goal for my future properties to pay for them cash. Cause it's cheaper in the short term and the long term. So now what do I have to do? Make the money, save it up so I can then use that to make more money, to build wealth. Because wealth is more than just the cash you have on hand. It's Absolutely, also those yeah. assets of value. So some people, they have it in their mind, oh, to be rich, I have to have all this cash. Well, not necessarily. Like that could be art. That could be homes. It could be businesses. Businesses are assets of, as well. And depending on the value of those, that might be, you know, your bread and butter, but it all depends on what works for you. So for me, like I'm currently taking, I'm in an investment program. So I get one-on-one coaching with Tila Holcomb um, and I'm learning how to swing trade and her program is called Trade Your 9 to 5. So those are for people that want to make so much money trading, they don't need their full-time job anymore. Tila is actually going to be a guest on the podcast. I just interviewed her yesterday. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love her. You talk about kindred spirits. I'm like, she's like my big sister. Um, so yeah. And, and it's also funny how small the community is. Yes. Because, you know, I connected with you. You've also connected with Tila. And then Tila actually connected with um, an old neighbor of mine that's also into personal finance. And they have um, a newsletter together. And so it's like, the world is so small, but that really helps because you make all these connections with other people that like to save and make money and it's encouraging, it's motivating, and you know you have that support. Yes, your circle of influence really, really matters. And just going back to what you said, I loved the fact that you talked about 
it's okay to have nice things. And that's one of the things that I share with my audience all the time. You can have nice things. You can have the nice car and the nice clothes and take the nice vacations, but you have to have a priority. You have to have a plan for your future self. And you cannot be thinking that you're living the life when you're acquiring debt to acquire shiny objects that, you know, like you have to be able to build up your assets and build up your cash. And from doing those things, all the nice things you want to have, they come as a byproduct of having that plan and having that strategy and giving and making that sacrifice and, you know, get, allowing time to progress with you doing all the things you need to do to build wealth. And so it's about adjusting your mindset. And like you said, surrounding yourself with savers, surrounding yourself with people who are going to encourage you to do better. The fact that you and I talk, the fact that I talk to Tila, the fact that you're working with Tila, the fact that we know all these people in this community that we're in is not by chance. It's because we have chosen to associate with people who are doing big things so that we can continue to do big things. And for those of you who are listening, it's important to recognize that, that your circle of influence is a big part of your success. Because if you're constantly surrounded by people who are going to tell you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, at some point, you yourself are going to start believing that you can't in the back of your head somewhere. And that is going to play out in the in the sense that you stop putting in as much effort as you could put in because you've constantly been hammered with this idea of you can't. Whereas if you're surrounded with people who are going to encourage you and teach you and challenge you and motivate you, even when you're having those difficult days where you're like, damn, this whole savings thing, damn, this whole investment thing, when you're having those bad days, those people behind you that are pushing you are going to, you know, thinking about them, thinking about everything you have learned from them is going to encourage you to make your best effort as you push forward. So that's really important. I'm glad that um, you talked about Flanese. So talk about, talk about that Flanese. So I wanted to kind of take things back a little bit, right? Because you've talked about all these great things that you have done, which is awesome. And I also want to talk about your more recent experience, but we'll get into that a little later. But you talked about all the things you've been able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And countless times I talk with people who say, well, the reason why I'm here is because my parents didn't have anything. My parents didn't teach me anything. I didn't have such and such in my life. I didn't have a mentor. It's like the blame is like on the people who raised them or the people who they were surrounded with growing up. And you kind of touched on it at the beginning that you didn't have a lot of that. You didn't have, you know, you're not a trust fund baby. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You didn't have financial support. You couldn't call your mom and say, hey, mom, spot me a hundred. I'm broke. You can do that. And you have still been able to accomplish what you have accomplished. So let's talk about that for a second, because you know, you can't have any excuses. You didn't, you didn't use any excuses, right? No. And like you said, I couldn't. Um, so for me, I'll admit I'm a very proud person. It's hard for me to ask for help. That's the first thing. Um, second of all, when I was in college, knowing the financial situation of my parents, it wasn't, you know, it didn't behoove me to consistently ask for stuff. One, because the odds of them being being able to help me were slim, but also because I was on my own, 
you know, I was technically an adult. So it's like, okay, get a part-time job or a couple of part-time jobs. Even when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, I had two part-time jobs and a full college course load in 12th grade. So Mm -hmm. I was used to, I had already started paying bills because I paid for my car in high school. I paid my own insurance. I was basically buying my own food. Like I lived at home still, but you know, I, I had already started taking care of myself. Um, and you know, I did my own laundry, all that kind of stuff. So when I meet people that are in their twenties or even their thirties and they're like, Oh yeah, no, my parents still do this. My parents still do that. I'm like, well, that's good. But it's also slightly enabling because God forbid anything happened. How do you function then? You Mm -hmm. haven't learned how to do that yet. And it's very hard to undo learned behavior the older you get. So for me, I started a little bit earlier than most people making adult decisions. So there's that first part. And then the next part was I've always been a goal setter. Like my parents didn't have to force me to start taking college classes. I told my mom I wanted to do it Mm -hmm. Um, because in Florida we had the dual enrollment program. So I started taking college classes in 10th grade because I wanted to. Um, And obviously because it was free. Um, (laughs) So even with that, I finished my associate's degree at 17. So it's like if you put into perspective the type of person I am compared to the things that I've accomplished, then it makes sense when you, you know, go back a little bit further and think about my mindset. So I've always been the, this is what I want. I'm going to go get it. But that's also so, ultimately because um, you want it better for yourself, right? You had well, big dreams. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> but even with that, it was just like, even if my dream was something simple, like my dream of all dreams right now is to have a little lakefront cottage. Sounds really simple. But it's one of those things where to be able to get that cottage and fully enjoy it, everything else has to transpire and take place. But I know that I'm a forward thinking person. So I have to plan my businesses, my investments, you know, my education, Mm -hmm. you know, just my income and everything to get me to a point where I don't have to clock in and clock out and I can sit on my deck in front of my, my lake house cottage or, you know, my lakefront cottage and sit my hot cocoa to get there. I have to bust my hump now. And, you know, when I was in school, I had a job when I got my first full-time job, when I was that intern making $37,640, a number I'll never forget. (laughs) I became a seasonal employee at the mall, you know, surrounded by shiny, pretty things. And I was saving my money because I lived in a very expensive city. And I was a first year intern, which means I made no money (laughs) Um, for the area anyway. So it's like I was working two jobs. And then what do I do? I start my master's at the same time. So I had a full time (laughs) job, a part time job, and I went back to school. But I was like, I want better for myself. So I'm going to do this. Yes, it's hard. Yes, I'm losing sleep. Yes, I am skipping things with my friends. Guess what? At the end of the day, I have to worry about my life. And those people that truly care about me will understand. Those people that I'm the closest to are probably in the same boat. (laughs) They're probably like, oh, let's study together. Or you know what? If you need a break, we'll call, set a timer, talk for 10, 15 minutes, vent, get it out, have a few laughs, and then go back to the grind. You know, um, 
And going through all of these things really showed me who cared about me and who was there for me growing as a person. Those people that don't understand why you work so hard or why you focus on business or school or just investing or whatever it is you're passionate about, those people that don't understand why you go so hard don't understand passion. They don't understand working for the future. And sometimes those people have to get left behind, which is unfortunate. Sometimes they'll catch up. Sometimes they won't. You know, people are in your life for reasons, seasons and times, you know. So (laughs) I had to learn that and I had to be okay with going it alone. And that, I think, is the scariest part that, yes, you have a community, but no one's going to do the work for you. So if you need someone to hold your hand, it's going to be a lot harder. But having been that I've been going it alone, so to speak, for well over a decade now, it's easier for me to say, hey, I'm going to start a business. It doesn't have to be we. I don't have to reach out and be like, oh, well, I had this idea. Can you do it with me? You don't if need I validation to- from anybody, yeah. Or even traveling. Most of my travels, I've been to 16 countries. Most of those have been on my own. I love it. I love it. And I can totally relate because when you when you set your mind to something, you know, that people don't understand and building wealth is one of them because we live in a society where everyone is complacent for the most part. Everyone is okay with where they are. You're in debt, you hate it, but you're kind of okay with it. You don't like your job, you hate it, but you're kind of okay with it. You kind of get into this space where you're okay with it. And when you try to break out of that mold and you start to state your intention and make the progress towards that intention, you know, in your career, with your finances and your relationships, whatever aspect of your life, and people start to notice they're immediately going to start to project their own self-limitations onto you. And it's going to be, what do you need so many houses for? Because they can't imagine what real estate investing is all about or why they, you know, why real estate investing is a way to make money. Why do you want a house on a lake? You know, because in their mind, that's only for people they see on TV. Why do you want to save a million dollars? Why do you want to have, you know, businesses? Why do you want to retire early? Because in their heads, they can't imagine themselves being in that space. So it doesn't make sense, sense to them. It's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale, (laughs) but you are turning, you've opened your eyes, you're awake from the dream and you're turning that fairy tale into your real life. And then they're going to project their self-limitations onto you because they don't see themselves there or they've never imagined themselves there. So it doesn't make sense. And it might be a distant dream for them. But the funny thing is that a lot of times, for the most part, people will continue to project their self-limitations onto you until you actually accomplish it. And then mm-hmm. once you accomplish it and they see how close to home it is, and like, oh my God, I grew up with that girl. I went to high school with that girl. We work together. We are friends. They're going to want to know, hey girl, how did, how you, did do you do it? it? How did you do Tell it? Tell me how you did it. <laughs> Tell me how you did it. Like, so when you, and for those of you listening, when you get into that space where you're like, I'm getting out of debt, I'm saving money. I'm going to start my business. I'm going to get a better paying job. I'm going to start pursuing my dreams. When you get into that space, expect people to think you're crazy. Expect them to think that you're wasting your time. Expect them to think that you're being stupid because it comes with the territory. And yes, it's lonely because you're going to have a community and you should be looking for for community to support you. That's unnecessary. You're going to have the community, but like you said, Flanice, 
when it comes down to doing the work, it's a little lonely because no one is going to, going to leave their life and say, you know what, girl, I want to help you save your five million dollars <laughs> for your right. retirement. The only Especially people that are telling you that themselves exactly. wouldn't even know how to help you. The only people that are going to tell you that are people who are going to be are people who are going to have a direct benefit off of what you make. Understand that anyone that's helping you pursue your dreams and leaving their own, putting their own aside. The only reason why they're helping you is because they're going to have a direct, a direct benefit. So this is just really great stuff, Felice. I'm so glad we're talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's actually really good that you brought that up because one thing I've learned is to be quiet when I'm pursuing things and achieving things. Um, like actually bringing up my new business this is the first time I'm really saying anything about it. Um, but normally I wouldn't mention it at all until it's already successful because at this point, this is when people are really good about trying to nitpick and chip away at your confidence and at the idea. And they just want to give you all the negative. It's very hard for people to support you when you don't have something concrete to show them. Mm -hmm. So what I've learned is one, not to even discuss it, especially with people that aren't pursuing their own dreams. They can't help you. They can't support you. <laughs> they don't get it. Um, but more so than that, it's just, if you're talking about it, you're not doing anything. So it's like, if you like one thing I had to learn Especially once I had achieved so much, I kind of started to coast a little bit like, oh, well, I make six figures. I'm this, I'm that or whatever. Like, yeah, life is good. I got content, <laughs> complacent, like you said. But yeah, I was comfortable. Like, yeah. I was like, what happened to that girl that was driven and ambitious and was striving for all of these, I hate to say it, but ridiculous goals. And but I'm your like, goals should be ridiculous. Right. They have yeah. to be ridiculous <laughs> because it'd just be too simple. Like, oh, yeah, I can do that. OK, well, yeah, you've done that now. Yeah. You know, you're great, but now be better. I'm actually reading a book called Relentless and I highly encourage it. Um, it gets you to that place of great isn't good enough. Be better. So with everything I'm doing, it's like, OK, yeah, I'm here now. But what's the next step? Get there, then what's the next step? And get there, then what's the next step? There's always something else you can be doing. Even if it's, you know, starting over in a totally different realm of what you, you're you used to. Um, but learn and be the best at it. Like, if you're going to do it, be the best at it. So for me, it's like, if I'm going to save, if I'm going to invest, if I'm going to build this empire my way, I'm mm -hmm. going to do it the best way possible. And I'm going to do it in my little bubble. Because... I don't want need anyone else to come in to try to damage anything, but also opening my mind to all that negativity does not support not what necessary. I'm trying to do. It's like good vibes only. Yeah. And also when people don't share your dream, their doubt is like a rain cloud. But once, like you said, once you've done it and you can mm -hmm. show them your success and they're like, wait, how did you do it? It's like, well, I asked you, if you wanted to participate and you were doubtful. So I did it alone and now I don't need your input. Sorry. Um, I think one thing I will say is that, you know, when people don't support you 
And when people don't understand your dream or don't believe in your dream, it's not necessarily because it's coming from a bad place. It's not because it's coming from a negative place. It's not because they don't love you or they don't care about you. And it's not because they think you're dumb or whatever. But sometimes people can't, you know, it's difficult for people to comprehend what you want to do if they can't relate to it. And if you're trying to do something that's not relatable, um, then they may not get it. And that's okay. And I think that as you grow in your business, as you grow in your whatever you're trying to build, your finances, your, you know, your wealth, your all of these things, you're going to get to a point where you stop caring what people think. And you're also going to get to a point where you're going to need validation from zero people Mm -hmm. because you don't care what they think because you're following your path, you're following your purpose, you're following your passion. And if you fail at it, you know, because everybody's going to fail consistently because the way you failure is what leads you to to success. Every time you fail, you learn a lesson that helps you do better the next time. I fail all the time. And, you know, as you fail, you're going to take your lessons and you're going to keep growing and you're not going to need the validation. You're not going to need to have people like what you do. You're not going to care what people think about what you do. But in the early stages of an idea, in the early stages of making a decision, like when you're like, okay, I'm thinking about starting this business, you know, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to pay off my debt. I'm not quite sure yet. I need to figure this out. You know, I've, I've kind of slipped up every time that I've tried, but this time I'm committing. When you're in that early stage of your idea and you are sharing it and you're telling people, you're sharing it with your heart, you're, you have good intention, you're excited about it. And you have to be very careful because like I said, people will not always relate and it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with where they are and what they can relate to, what they think and all of that. That's their business. But you have to be careful because in that early stage of your idea, whatever it is you're doing is, might not be solidified in your mind. You may not have built the confidence you need to have around executing that thing and a word, a look an email from this person who cannot relate to what you're doing can completely derail your plans, especially if it's someone that is in your life that has had a lot of influence over you and someone that you look up to or someone that you respect. Sometimes words from them can be, you know, they can completely throw you off and from what you're trying to accomplish. So you want to be, for those of you listening, you want to be mindful of that and keep that in mind that, like Flynn said, you don't need to talk about everything, but then you also need to get to a space where you don't care what people think about you. Because if you think about, think about when you've ever been in a crowd and you feel like all eyes are on you, you start getting uncomfortable. You kind of, you know, you're walk, you were walking straight before, then you start to stumble a little bit. Then you're like, oh my God, is my dress too tight on my stomach? You start feeling, and then you don't, you're not presenting yourself in your best confidence, right? But the minute you don't care who's looking at you, the minute you're like, whatever, you know, I don't care if my dress is too tight. I don't care if my shoes don't match. You are in your full confidence. And it's it's the same thing. So, Flanice, I wanted to talk about your more, you know, more recent years. So you are a breast cancer survivor. Yep. And yep. Um, that mm-hmm. is, you know, first of all, I'm so happy that you are in this space here and we're talking okay. about it. Um, but not only that, 
you were able to pay for those very, very, very expensive medical treatments and not incur any debt around it. So do you mind sharing a little bit more about that experience? Because, you know, when you first get a diagnosis like that, it can be devastating and it can derail you. You can feel like, you know what, YOLO. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And you can feel like, you know what, I'm not even going to bother trying anymore. I want you to talk about what was the experience like and where did you find the motivation to be like, you know what, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to keep going because now you're here. And a lot of that had to do with your mindset and your headspace. Yes. So um, I'm actually really glad that you brought this up because um, one thing I've learned throughout this and my treatment um, is that cancer does not care. It does not care about your skin color, your age, your weight, your <laughs> cancer does not care. Um, it does. It was shocking because I was 29 years old and no history of it in my family. I don't have the gene. So my doctors were just like, we have no idea why you have cancer. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I don't either. Um, <laughs> but it was also one of those things where First of all, I realized that everything happens for a reason. I'm a firm believer in that. And I was like, to me, this wasn't a punishment. One, because I accepted very early on, as soon as the diagnosis came in, this is a temporary situation. Cancer will not take me out. I'm like, I am way too dramatic to go out (laughs) because of cancer. I'm going to have to tumble down Mount Kilimanjaro or something like that's not going to be the story that's told when I go. Okay. Like, oh no, she had cancer. Yeah. And then she beat it. And then something dramatic happened. Like it's, this is not the end of my story. No. Um, so that was the first thing. And then also finding humor in the situation. So I say that I got cancer because I talk too much. I had the gift of gab. I've talked to strangers. So I'm the perfect person <laughs> to be like, Hey, have you gotten checked up? I do that at Target at Walgreens. <laughs> I do that everywhere I go. I randomly bring up cancer. I find a reason either I'm wearing something pink or I pick out somebody else's pink or I'm wearing a shirt or a hat or whatever. And I'm like, yes, I'm a breast cancer survivor and I look this great. So let's talk about it. Like I'm that person. So I say, that's why I was given this opportunity because that's exactly what it became an opportunity to share about cancer and finances or any illness in finances to talk about, you know, being a young woman and going through something like this, a single woman going through this. Um, and I've actually had like Facebook friends and Instagram followers say, thank you so much for sharing. Um, one of my classmates from college, she was diagnosed this year. So she reached out to me, Hey, how did you deal with it? How did you feel? You know, what drugs were you on? All of that kind of stuff. And I actually flew out to be with her on her first chemo treatment, you know, to be there with her and her family and go through the process with her. And I guess break down the medical speak into terms she could understand because I had been through the same exact thing. Um, but I'm like, if that if I hadn't been through that, she might have felt alone. She might have felt like she didn't have options. And, you know, I've connected with some great people, some other young survivors. Um, and it's been a it's crazy, a great experience. But beyond all of that, I learned who I am. I learned how strong I am. 
I learned how, you know, no nonsense I could really be, <laughs> which helped with my finances. And yes, I did have my points where, you know, I used hashtag cancer as an excuse to go shopping because <laughs> the hospital is right by the mall. So I would go walk the mall after treatment and say I was getting my steps in while I was window shopping and sometimes really shopping. <laughs> um, but in all of that, I was very, very, very blessed in the regard that I have really good insurance. So that's the one thing, if nothing else that you get from my experience, don't skimp on your insurance coverage because I wasn't expecting this. I was probably in the best shape of my life. Like in the months leading up to my diagnosis, I had been working out frequently, you know, was counting macros and calories and all of this while my tumor was growing the entire time. So it's just one of those situations where if I didn't have the insurance, there's no way I could have afforded it. Um, some of my treatments were six figures for every treatment. And I had a lot of treatment. <laughs> um, I had, so let me start at the beginning. I was diagnosed in May. So there were multiple tests and things there. Um, I had to have surgery to get my port put in so I could have chemo. Um, I had 16 rounds of chemo. Each of those was in the six figures. Oh. So I had four every two weeks and then I had 12 every week. So that's a lot in taxing on the body by itself and on the finances. But then I wasn't done yet. So I had two surgeries um, in November and December of last year. Um, And then I had seven weeks of physical therapy because I had a bilateral mastectomy and they removed lymph nodes in the right armpit. So I had to learn how to use my right arm basically all over again. And I'm still not at 100%. And I may never be able to lift more than 10 pounds when exercising on that arm. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, breast cancer. Like, it affects other things, too. Um, mm-hmm. And then with radiation, like, I still have a dark spot that looks like South Carolina, in my opinion, um, (laughs) that is also affecting my range of motion because the skin and the tissue has thickened and tightened up due to the radiation, which I had 28 rounds of. Um, And then I had my final surgery this uh, past July. So that's four surgeries, 16 rounds of radiation, um, excuse me, 16 rounds of chemo, seven weeks of physical therapy and 28 rounds of radiation in 14 months. So it's a lot, but one, I had my family and friends to, you know, once they got on board with me using humor, it made everybody's life a little bit easier. Like I didn't want anyone crying and being upset. I'm like, I'm not crying. I'm okay. When I got my diagnosis, I didn't cry. And my mother was sitting right beside me when, um, I talked to the doctor on speakerphone. And I said, okay. When she said they found cancer cells, I said, okay. And my mom looked at me. She said, okay. I said, I'm okay. She's like, okay. <laughs> so it was a lot of okays that day. <laughs> but because I didn't get upset, she didn't get upset. So that kept my stress low and her stress low. And I just used that moving forward. And thinking about everyone else for about 80% of the time helped me push through. Like every time my mother would call, she was just waiting for me to sound upset or sad or something so she can jump in her car and drive to my place mm-hmm. and comfort me. 
But I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. Mind you, my mother lives four hours away from me. So it wasn't a quick trip if she was going to come visit. Um, So I did a lot of that alone. I still had to get up, clean up, work, you know, run errands. Mm -hmm. And I think that all helped me because I was, I didn't allow myself to wallow. wallow, I didn't allow myself to feel sick. And that was the other thing. I never said I was sick. I said, I got diagnosed with cancer. I didn't attach it to me. Like I didn't even feel unwell until I started treatment. So I'm like, if they hadn't told me I had cancer, I would have never known. And so I kept it up. Like, I'm fine. What's going in my body right now is the treatment. That's why I feel tired or don't really have an appetite. It's the treatment. But as soon as this is over, I'm going to get back to myself. Mm-hmm. And even when all of my hair fell out, I was shiny bald. That's how I like to call it. Um, <laughs> but when it first fell out, I thought I looked like Smeagol slash Gollum from Lord of the Rings. It was just like a few pieces of hair in there. So I would look myself in the mirror and I would say, the precious. And I would lie <laughs> at myself. And My precious. <laughs> but it's, everybody's like, how are you so cheerful? I'm like, what else am I supposed to be? Yeah. And when people see me, they're like, oh, you look really good. I'm like, how else am I supposed to look? I refuse to let cancer win. I refuse. And when it came to my finances, you know, I got really familiar with insurance really quickly. Um, so I'm on the phone and just like, well, here's the brochure and this is what's covered and this is what's not. But long story short, this is what you have to pay out of pocket. We're a hundred percent after that. Oh, well, that's amazing. And thank you. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's just like, you have to get the good coverage. Like, and I made sure when I got the bill, I paid it. I didn't, you know, try to let anything go to collections and do all of that. Like I just stayed on top of it, even though sometimes I would forget to pay my bills. I won't lie. Going through treatment, I would forget what day it was and all of that, which is why automation <laughs> becomes key. Your friend, yeah. Um, and also it helped me get my life together to start writing down everything. Um, I got really into bullet journaling and I made a to-do list every single day. Actually two. I made one for work and I made one for home every single day because I had to drink so much water. I had to make sure I took my medication. I had to, you know, I had medication on some days and not others. Some I had to take twice a day or three times a day or four times a day. And so I wrote everything down everything, but it kept my mind moving. It kept me going. So when it came to bills, I was writing them out. When it came to my budget, I was writing it out. I was literally writing down reminders to eat. So mind you, I love food. So if I have to remind myself <laughs> to eat, things have gotten pretty dire. Um, but I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about my dreams and goals and on top of all of that, I learned that life is short. So yeah, I'm pursuing everything because tomorrow is not promised. Yeah. And yeah, I can say I'm giving myself four years to make a million dollars, but with everything I've been through, that's also my window of time to try to have a kid, which is a very expensive addition to a family. So <laughs> everything I'm doing right now is to prepare myself for my potential child. So that's making sure my retirement's okay, that my child has a college fund, um, you know, all of that. 
I'm doing all of that right now because once this hypothetical child (laughs) (laughs) comes into play, then I don't want to have to rush off to a job. I want to be able to homeschool or take off as much time as I want and not have to worry about clocking in, clocking out, you know, not being available or whatever the case may be. But I set those goals for myself and it doesn't matter how anybody else feels about it. And Funnies, one thing, thank you so much for sharing that, by the way. And one thing that comes up on this podcast pretty often um, is insurance. I talk about it a lot because insurance is your backup to your backup. And if you've ever been in a space where you've taken insurance for granted, I mean, this story alone should be the catalyst for you to pull out those insurance policies, figure out what you need. Um, and health insurance is so important because healthcare is so expensive. You know, you talked about your, your cancer diagnosis. And if you imagine if you didn't have the, the right kind of insurance and imagine, imagine the added stress of having to deal with, how am I going to pay for this? Oh my goodness. When you're trying to get out of the situation. So insurance is so important. Health insurance, life insurance, home insurance. Insurance is your backup to your backup. Yes, you pay for it, but you know, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And so you want to make sure that whatever aspect of your life requires insurance, you have the right kind of insurance. If you're renting an apartment, get renter's, renter's insurance. insurance. Yes. You own a home. A lot of people, most people are required to get homeowner's insurance when they buy their home. But once that insurance lapses, many people do not renew. You want to keep yourself covered. This is open enrollment season, October, November, in many, many companies. You want to look at your health insurance and look, you know, I'm an advocate for taking the better plan. Yes, it's going to cost you 50 bucks or 100 bucks or more a month, but you're going to spend that money anyway on other things. So why not make your health a priority? Because it can make all the difference between having your medical treatment being covered at 60% versus have being covered at 90%. And it doesn't mean that, you know, improving or getting the best health insurance possible doesn't mean that you're preparing for a life or death prognosis or prognosis, right? It's, it could be for anything like having a baby. That's a natural thing, but it's an expensive thing. It is, so, especially in the US. <laughs> you know, if you have to have a C-section, you're going to pay money. For High it. risk pregnancy is more yep. money. So my, my delivery was $45,000, but I was also a high risk pregnancy. And throughout my pregnancy, I was having ultrasound, ultrasounds every, um, two weeks. And the average cost of my ultrasound was between 400 and a thousand dollars every two weeks for a 37 week pregnancy. And that was stuff that was covered for the most part by my insurance. My delivery fee, that 45 K was covered by my insurance by 90%. So I only had to pay 4500 out of pocket, but 4500 is still a lot of money. So imagine if I only had insurance that covered 60% of my oh, you know, pregnancy care. I would have had bills in the thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, because I didn't want to pay the extra 100 or 200 bucks a month. Right. It's like you pay it now or you pay You pay it later. Exponentially more later. <laughs> and even with me, it's like now that I have a pre-existing condition, that's something I have to take into account. So my retirement costs will be a lot higher than, you know, the average well person, because I don't know, 
how long my um, treatments may last. Like my current treatment for hormone suppression, because I have hormone positive cancer, I have to take two pills every day and get a shot every month for the next, well, for a total of five years, if not 10. Um, so that's, you know, just in this time period. But if I relapse or anything like that, you know, all of those costs I have to factor in. So with my current job, in order to make sure I have insurance after I retire, I have to stay with my current job until retirement age and then get the retirement insurance to make sure I'm covered because of my pre-existing condition. Because I know someone that their pre-existing condition is an ulcer, just a stomach ulcer. And they pay an additional $900 a month for private insurance. I don't want those problems. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's, that's a mortgage. You know, and they their own business. So for me, if I'm going to have my own business full time, that means my insurance costs will be astronomical. So I may never be able to, you know, quit my full time job, no matter how much money I'm making, because I have to worry about my health costs and the what ifs, because I don't know of any private insurance plans that can compete with the coverage I currently have at the cost. It's it's just one of those things where I have to weigh the pros and cons. Like, yes, I can have a million dollars in the bank right now, and I'm still going to clock in for my nine to five. One, because that's additional income. Two, because that insurance is so much better than anything I could get on the private market. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that's just something that I've had to make that choice for myself. I have to weigh the pros and cons, weigh the odds. And it's just like, what risks would you rather take? Knowing you have good insurance and good coverage now, even with the basic plan or risking what's available on the private market. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like you said, it's so, so important. And for those of you listening, you want to think about your big picture and regardless of where you are in your life, um, we're all presented with different options. Felice, your you know your options are specifically around insurance, taking making specific sacrifices to get the best coverage you might you need. Mm-hmm. And for folks who are listening, think about your life and your careers and your health and all those things and the options that you have. The best option for you might not always be the most comfortable, but it might be the one that's the most worthwhile. So I really do appreciate you sharing. I feel like I could talk to you forever, Felice. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All day. (laughs) I know, but this has been such an incredible conversation. You are an incredible lady and you've accomplished so much and I wish you every success. I'm so glad I got to meet you and, you know, you've been able to share your story with me and to encourage other people listening. And I'm going to put your, um, the book you mentioned in the show notes, but I wanted to ask you really quickly, (laughs) what is your clever girl superpower? (laughs) My clever girl superpower. Um, I would say that I'm a dreamer. I'm, I'm a forward thinker. I, I can see the big picture down the road. Like, even with my business or other people's businesses, which is why I actually started my first business 
it was just like, oh, you like personal training? Well, these are the other things you can do with that. And this is how your company can grow. Oh, you're good at accounting? Well, these are other things you can do. And this is how your company can grow. I'm a dreamer. And I want everyone to achieve their wildest dreams. That's, I think that's my clever girl superpower. That motivates me and helps me motivate <laughs> other people to pursue whatever it is they want. You want a million dollars? You want a billion dollars? Let's make a plan. Let's execute, <laughs> rinse, and repeat. Let's keep dreaming. Keep achieving. I think that's my clever girl superpower because I feel like without my dreams, without my goals, I wouldn't be half of who I am today. My dreams are everything to me. I love it. I love it. And finally, Felice, how can folks stay in touch with you? Um, the best way to reach me is Instagram. It's Lala Supreme 5, L-A-L-A-S-U-P-R-E-M-E, and the number five, um, or Facebook, Flanice Lewis. Um, I post a lot about my breast cancer journey. Um, I share a lot of <laughs> uh, Bola's posts about Clever Girl Finance, um, also Tila's posts, and just there's a lot about life. Um, on my page, I try to, you know, just keep touch points everywhere. Um, but yeah, any questions, anyone can reach out and ask. Um, I'm an open book pretty much. I guess that's my other superpower. I talk to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, Instagram and Facebook would be the best. Um, and then when I launch my latest venture, (laughs) I'm sure I reach out and let everyone know. Awesome. And I will include um, the links to your Instagram and your Facebook on in the show notes. So guys, if you um, want to keep in touch with Felice, just check the, the show notes for those links. Again, thank you so much for being here, Felice. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Always a good time. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Felice's incredible, incredible story. And I hope you walk away from this podcast feeling inspired and motivated to go out and pursue your dreams. If you have loved what you've listened to, please, please subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can also listen to episodes on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel and be sure to tell a friend about the podcast and spread the word. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll be back again with a brand new episode soon.